Welcome to Life on Purpose. With me today is someone I've known for many years. We can't really remember how many years, but her name is Diane English. She's an American film director, screenwriter, and she uh, won multiple Emmys for uh, including Murphy Brown, which she created an, a number of years ago, had a very long run. Murphy Brown was an iconic show. It changed television. It was there in the, in the time when... Uh, the Cosby Show and Cheers, and, and we learned how to spell potato because of Diane English. And that's a whole side story, asked Dan Quill. But Diane also has gone on to remake the movie The Women. She is now a film director. And uh, Diane, I want to, you have had a background in television and now film, and uh, a lot of markers in your life that have been big change up moments. Uh, when you turned 40, you made Murphy Brown. What the heck was going on in your life when you did that? <laughs> you know, I, it's my nephew often says to me, oh, my God, I'm 24. I haven't done anything yet. And I went, you know, I was 40 when I had my first hit show. And what are you, a late bloomer? <laughs> yes, definitely a late bloomer. I didn't even get out to Los Angeles until I was 35. Right. And didn't start working in television seriously until I was 35. So, you know, it's, uh, I just wasn't ready. I just didn't have anything to say. You know, I had done other TV series, yeah. you know, before that, but I don't think I was really, um, ready to, to bring it all together into this one, one thing where all those tumblers, you know, clicked into place. Nothing is ever, it's said that nothing is ever really fiction. I mean, that we play from our personal lives and so on. What, is there anything in your life that was happening? What, what, do, how do you identify with, uh, Murphy Brown that you created? You, you created her, right? Yeah. Out of the ether. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, all, all characters, whether you're writing a novel or a TV series or movie, are they're little pieces of every character in the in the writer. Um, but you know that was a character who was turning forty. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a a post feminist, um, and you know, kind of coming into her own in the post feminist era. She she was um, somebody who was struggling with uh, the. Uh, problem of trying trying to balance your your personal life with your work life you know try to find some balance you know and 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 women up to that point were really striving to break through the class ceiling and and my, you know myself included and um, and yet how do you do what you have to do and still maintain your relationships with your family with your friends with your loved ones with your husband um, and and I found all of that really interesting and it wasn't really being addressed yeah. anywhere. And so you were living it in your own life. I was kind life. of living it yeah. in my own life. Um, and so that's where, where you know, Murphy came from. Kind of got self-fulfilling in a way because you were, uh, as a showrunner, the top dog in television. And uh, there are few women doing that. So it's, uh, and Murphy was very much the top dog in the network anchor business, right? 
Yeah, she was uh, acquiring a level of fame that mm. was even beyond the people she was interviewing, and that was happening a lot in in broadcast journalism with Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters and Katie Couric, and you know there are a lot of women who are who are really breaking through and becoming superstars in, mm. in their business, and and I, I was more interested in. Um, exploring that type of a person rather than somebody who was working their way up as Mary Tyler Moore's character was in the early 70s who was kind of the you know the the uh, the godmother of all of these shows right um, but I was more interested in what happens when you actually get what you wish for mm-hmm. and and then you know there's it's all a trade off it's all a big trade off right, she's yeah. a major power broker you know she was her her life was playing out on a world stage uh she was breaking into the boys club big time mm-hmm. and successfully but she couldn't even keep a plant yeah, you know, right, right. Uh, her, well, she couldn't her, get a paint job done in her house. Couldn't couldn't get the painter to show up on <laughs> right, time. You right. know, and that really humanized her. Or move her. out when he moved in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that came personally also. I was having yeah. work done on a on a house, and the painters just absolutely would not. They, they you know they were the little <laughs> construction crew, and they would come in with their own key in the morning, and they would you know make the coffee, and they would never leave, and it went on for years. Oh my god. And we got to be, you know, pretty close with them, and um, and that was the source of. of you come by Eldon honestly. Yes, <laughs> which, exactly. Which reminds me of the end of your last job in New York City when the painters were still there for still days. Still there. Yes. Was, it was like it was like a traumatic response. Are they like going to be here forever? Like, ah, I've lived this before in a whole other life. So there, obviously, a lot of uh, your own life pulled into that character, which had to be. I mean, and then you uh, have to you have to bring everything that you mm-hmm. know. In, into something like that and especially when it goes on for years in a writer's room uh, you know you have seven eight ten people sitting there from you know nine o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the next morning you get to know everything about everybody right. all the stories come out and there's great material there yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. how you Fodder. keep it going for 250 mm-hmm. episodes and it is a family as you said, yeah, you're building another family. Yeah, yeah, and so the trade-off of everything, but to create that role was pretty amazing. In hindsight, we can say that now. I mean, because it's pretty fantastic. People go Murphy Brown. It's one of the biggest shows of our lifetime. A change-up moment. Uh, what was it like to go against the vice president of the United States? <laughs> well, I mean, that was really surreal because I w- wasn't looking for that. I mean, we no. were. We, what we were doing was we we were so appalled. Uh, you know, our show was very political, and and a lot of people got their news from watching our show, and oh. we actually had to try to second guess weeks in advance what the headlines would be and we were pretty good at it you know so so our show was very very timely but we were all very appalled at the at the quality of the you know person in the in in, in the vice president's office and we you know it's a heartbeat away from the presidency so we we sort of did a Dan Quayle joke every week mm-hmm. and people waited for it and it always showed up somewhere uh, apparently it, it bothered him. <laughs> and he went so, straight against you and said family values. That's yeah, where that rose well, out of the know, ashes. It was an election year and, and yes. they were searching for some sort of a, you know, a, a catchphrase and family values was the one that came up and there was a very pivotal speech that uh, Dan Quayle gave in Los Angeles right after the mm-hmm. 
uh, the riots, the Rodney King riots, and he was talking about family values. Nice how tea. Murphy Brown had had you know had a, a baby out of wedlock, and how awful this was, and this was the fall of Western civilization. It's all my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm watching this on TV with my husband at about 11 o'clock at night on the news, oh and I see him talking about me, me, yeah, and my show, <laughs> and there's fire in the background and riots going on, and it's this is my fault, you and know? it's a and fictional character, but it's apparently his own staff had, yeah. had warned him not to, you know, not not to make that connection because he had not seen our final episode where so touching his <laughs> birth and didn't really understand the circumstances under which that happened, but he went ahead anyway, and in the end it. It backfired because uh, it became a real talking point yeah. and a and a and a flashpoint yeah. for a lot of disenfranchised women who really felt Excuse like Excuse me, family values. These guys is, don't yeah. understand who we are. Right. Right. And so. Um, and you went toe to toe with him. You did not back off. And not that you were aggressive about it, but you just went, okay. You know what? This is how we're going to keep writing the show and keep it, uh, not even in a manipulative way. It was just really taking it on. Well, actually. It it his his attack mm. happened the day after our final episode of the season, the four season aired, mm. and then we went down for the summer. You know, for the show doesn't go back on the air until September, so this is May when this happened, right. and and um, after he made these statements. Uh, the next morning, my phone was ringing off the hook. At, you know, 60 Minutes wanted me on. Dan Rather wanted me to sit oh next to him at the news desk and open the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, every media outlet was asking for an interview, and I got really scared because, you know, this is not fooling around stuff. Yeah. This is so. At the time, Howard Stringer was uh, running the network, and he used to be the head of CBS News, and he was kind of my mentor and gave us a lot of good Murphy Brown stories, wow. you know, yep. things. And and I called him and he said, listen, this is what you do. You make one statement and then you don't talk anymore. Really? So you've got guidance said, on that. He we'll, said, we'll, yep. we'll help you get your statement out there. Mm-hmm. We'll release it to the press. Compose it. Put it out there. Say nothing. Mm-hmm. Do not get baited into this argument. You, it, it, it won't be good. So, good so that's what I did. Yeah. And I, I made my statement. And then, do you remember uh, what it was? Yeah, it was um, if the vice president thinks that a woman cannot raise a child uh, on her own, then he better make sure that abortion remains safe and legal. <gasps> wow! So that that was like the explosion, yeah. and it was on yep. front page of the New York Times and every newspaper the next day. And um, Candace Bergen called me up, and she said. She was in New York and I was in L.A. And she said, have you seen the New York Times this morning? And I said, no, I was waking up. And she said, go down your driveway and get it. Call me back. <laughs> that orange bag. <laughs> it was above the fold. Uh, it's a picture of Candace holding the baby as, as Murphy, uh-huh. you know, from our final episode. And then every day after that, it was it never died. It was just one of those no, stories. No, it kept going, kept going and going and going and going. I didn't realize the show had, was on hiatus at that point. Yeah, and, it was uh, on hiatus. But, but it became it, a tipping point yes, for uh, po- politics it, it and, and our uh, culture yeah. and addressing single motherhood and fe- whether it's feminism or women's right to their own body, you know, all yes, of that. Yes, that and just how um, out of touch yeah, the previous exactly. administration was in the so Bush many trail. ways with mm-hmm. the 
with the popular culture and and they were going again and then we had iced tea it was really there were a bunch of uh, yeah you know it was uh, it was a no win for them and so Bill Clinton won the presidency yes I know <laughs> and when Candace Bergen got her Emmy what did she say <laughs> she, I I don't know what she said. I think she said, and I'd like to thank Dan Quayle. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I love that because, yeah, and yeah. that's where it brought down the house. You won a lot of Emmys. How many Emmys have you won? Well, the show won... Um, that's you. <laughs> 18 or oh my God. 20 or something like that. I, I won three. Nice. Personally. Were there Golden Globes at that time? Yes, yeah. there were Golden Globes. Um, won one of those. Yeah. Which was nice. Ain't bad, sweetheart. Oh, my goodness. That's can melt that in- stuff down. <laughs> no, you know what was shocking? Some- the Golden Globe was such a cheesy-looking award. I, I mean, it's such a fancy, it's the best party ever, yeah. you know, because it's the movie people and the TV people, and everybody's in the same room. It Is that where happen. you sit and you drink during the whole yes, thing? Yes, it's and just a lot of tables. And drinking right. and drinking. Yeah. The Oscars yeah. and the Emmys, you sit in theater seats, and Ugh. it's very nerve-wracking. Nobody laughs at anybody's no, jokes. No. They're taking themselves very... Very seriously. Right. This is all very loosey goosey and really fun, and um, and I was so surprised when they handed it to me because it really was like like a bowling trophy. You know, it was it was just ugly. And and it, and and when they you know they on the other awards they engrave your yeah. name on. Yeah, yeah. They handed you as you walk out. They hand you like a a, a little sticker. It's like a little metal thing that says no. what you're what you want it for, and then you peel no, off the no, back. No, 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 that is a bowling trophy. <laughs> I mean, come on. My so. brother used to take home from baseball games at eight awful, years old. Awful, awful. How funny. But and then a couple of years like, well. later, they changed it, and now they've made it much nicer yeah. looking. But that's not the not one I have on my shelf. Not 14 karat dipped and over one. bronze. You <laughs> 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 got the real deal. Uh, we're going to come back after a few minutes uh, to talk about more of uh, these great stories. We'll be back in just a minute. To join in the conversation right now, go to hearwomentalkradio.com and chat live online with Deb Coletti from Life on Purpose. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Police Psychics, Find Me, with Kelly Snyder and Valerie Graham. This fascinating program explores how vetted psychic sleuths team up with law enforcement to find success, show how this can bring awareness, hope, and closure to families. Also presented are important possibilities which psychic assistance offers for law enforcement, especially at the beginning of an investigation. Host Kelly Snyder is a retired federal agent with 25 years in law enforcement. He's an author and the founder of Find Me, a non profit organization of talented worldwide psychic crime solvers, canine search and rescue volunteers, and others who provide leads in missing person and homicide cases. Find Me's work creates a raised awareness of how psychic abilities can add a tool to a detective's arsenal. Snyder is teamed with co-host Valerie Graham, an author and former sheriff staffer in correctional psychiatry. Join them Tuesdays, 2 p.m. at hearwomentalk.com, H-E-R-E, womentalk.com. 
Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advance tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Hi, this is Chris Hillenberg of Hear Women Tell on Hear Women Talk Radio. You can hear us every Wednesday between 3 and 4. Please join us where we get the story behind the story as we talk to professional storytellers. This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest-growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Life on Purpose. Once again, here's your host, Deb Coletti. Okay, so we were just talking, Diane, I'm back with Diane English, and we were talking about Murphy Brown and creating that at 40 years old. About 20 years earlier in your life, um, I remember you saying, uh, telling a story about when you came from Buffalo, your uh, early roots to New York, and you actually thought you were going to be a writer on Mary Tyler Moore. Couldn't I please? I did. <laughs> I, I, I had no clue that that was not something you could just snap your fingers and make happen. Was that chutzpah or naivete? <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I, I knew I was, I was a pretty good writer, but I didn't have any sense of what the big world was. So I, I knew I wanted to live in New York. I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. I just went there and I rented an apartment and I started looking for a job and I had my little portfolio of my short stories and my plays that I had You written. are organized girl. I know I you to do that. I had it all together <laughs> and I went up to CBS and I got, you know, um, an interview with uh, head of human resources or whatever they are. <laughs> and I, I said, I want to write for the Mary Tyler Moore show. And really the woman, I have to <laughs> hand it to her, she had a straight face, you know. Right. And she said, how fast can you type? And she oh. gave me a typing <laughs> test, which I passed with flying colors but I was not going to be typing for Mary Tyler Moore. I didn't even know they were out in Los Angeles. So, But talk about visioning what you had in mind and then 20 years later creating that. Isn't that pretty phenomenal? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I mean, we like can I say that an, now. I had a, vi- I had an idea. Yeah, I saw myself right. doing but something. But they projected but that ability. If, if, if there I is had that, known, the secret is working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if I had known what kind of... Um, but obstacles really would have been in my <laughs> way. You, you would know, have never. I, I would. I probably wouldn't even have gone out, out to New York. You know, so there, that naivete sometimes really works. It for serves you. you, yeah. Because if we did know, we'd go. What if down? But what if up is right. what you came to yes. town with, right? And that comes from your background. Your mom. You have a very wonderful, strong mom who uh, carved her own life, uh, navigated her way through. Is that? Is, would she be the person you would turn to as uh, giving you all that? Confidence. Oh yeah, my mom. You know, my mom always wanted to be in show business, mm. and she was of a different era and um, was not meant to be. But she's just a great vocalist and had her hopes and dreams, but never really pursued them in in a way that I was later able to because the times were different. Right. So you know, she was my big cheerleader, and um, you can tell um, because you come to it with that calm confidence, um, and you still do that. I think of you. You're a comedy writer. Um, and you're, but yet you're not a comedian. They're two di- very different things. Right. Often, comedy writers right. 
art, you know, Larry David's pretty freaking funny. At a mm-hmm. cocktail party, he dominates. You, you throw out your zingers, your quips, but you yeah. are quite, you're a different type personality. No, I'm not a stand-up and I'm not a performer. Right. I save it for the page. Yeah. And, but you, you don't know. need attention in the way some, you know, they say about certain actors and comedians, they need to be seen. Right. And it's applauded. a It's a different animal. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I actually start, started off thinking that I would be, on the stage and, really? and did a whole bunch of that stuff in college, but then realized, you know, I, it's not where I'm most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm most comfortable really behind yeah. the camera. Yeah. And so that's, and I'm glad, you know, that, that I, I chose that because I would be now struggling to be a size two and would be, yeah, you know, have had ten faceless already. Yeah, so. exactly, to keep up with the... Interesting, but you did have the acting beginning. I didn't realize that you yeah, were you know, on the other side. In in, in college, you mm-hmm. know, I was kind of testing the waters. Yeah. I was part of a theater group, and, and uh, I did that in high school also, and I thought, oh, maybe this is where I'm going to go. But I, I really, writing is my, my yeah, first it, love. I'm, I'm a writer more than I'm anything else. Yeah, and that's very clearly... And the comedy writing and saving it for the page and not being having to do the delivery and the and it's your your it's the confidence the calm I think of you as like you're really together and feet on the ground in this world of Hollywood which is not so easy to navigate for no. many directors yeah. producers on both sides of the camera we can behave badly you keep your uh your buffalo roots with you it seems I try you know I you know it's it's just um uh, it can get so uh, competitive in Los Angeles, and I, mm-hmm. I I live there. That's where I pay my taxes. That's where home is. But um, it's it's all about show business, you know. And yeah. and so it's really where I go to do my work. But to be fed mm. as an artist, where your soul is, I have to get out of there, yeah. and I wind up spending a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. On Martha's Vineyard, you where made your home again, you know, which I'm very happy about. You look out the window and you see such be- beauty, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you get back in touch with nature. It's it's all part of this quest that I have to to be to have this this balance, you mm-hmm. know. And I, you know, I think in some ways, though, balance is kind of overrated <laughs> uh, because there are times in your life where you have to go screw balance, you right, know. Right, right. Uh, this is what I'm doing. The only way you're going to get what you're going to get is that you've got to give it 110%. Right. You know. You and go Hollywood all the way when you're just, making a movie. You, well, you've <laughs> just got to, you just got to put your head down and do the work and, and that's what your life becomes about. And um, and now I, I look back on that time and I think, wow, that was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with that I decade of making uh, that you know, TV show and then yeah, I mean I did ten years it took to get the women made, which yeah, is what you've it, done it, most recently. It, you know the the TV thing. I started uh, doing TV in 1985 and did not stop until 1998. So I, it was. And I had three shows on the air at one time once, and I was the showrunner for show all runner, those three. Showrunner, top dog, yeah. I mean, right. in, in 1998, when Murphy ended, mm-hmm. I just thought, that's uh, they're going to have to carry me out on a stretcher. <laughs> I better stop now and take a little break. Yeah. And, and Because at a certain point, you're not living your life anymore. Yeah. You're not getting out of the sound stage. Mm-hmm. And 
you don't have anything else to write about if you're not living a life. That's right. You know, so I, I decided to take a year off, and then that became two years. And three. It's like when you stop banging your head against a wall and you realize, oh, it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so That habit. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure I could ever, you know, embrace that kind of a... A schedule again, but you know, I, it's it's a it's a great ride when it's working. But it's a it's, choice you made consciously. It sounds like, which yes, is it's part of definitely the, a choice yeah. that was made. And, and you could have stayed on that ride, and th- and that's where people sometimes climb. They don't know yeah. when to get off. Yeah, and then you, well, you get kicked off, or you get kicked you, off. You, you, you do wait too ultimately long get, get kicked, kicked off, off. and yeah. I don't want to get kicked off. Yeah. so I sort of step <laughs> back on on my. It's own. As somebody say, I leave before they fire me. Yeah, exactly. Know when to leave the party. Exactly, but you did get recruited back to save a couple shows too. Uh, TV yeah, shows. Yeah, you know, but that's not the you, you nose to the choose. grindstone. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really a young person's medium. Um, you know, you have to find it fun to eat out of styrofoam <laughs> containers at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, it's and it was. I mean, there was the. I look back on that time. The the just the camaraderie with the writers and the laughs that we had. Mm. And that was your family. It was my family, and you you could come up with an idea, and three weeks later, it would be on the air. Wow. I mean. And that was wielding a lot of power and influence, yeah. and you know we all took it very seriously. But um, you know now now I look around and I see people like Sean Ryan uh, um, and uh, Ryan Murphy and uh, Peter Tolan and Matt Weiner, mm-hmm. um, you know doing these wonderful shows like Glee and Mad Men, right. you know, and uh, Steve Leviton from, from yeah. you know these are all people I knew pretty well yeah how and, does that feel and, now uh, how does that feel to be that you were kind of but the, they're all the much younger leader. they're all they're younger. Much, much much younger yeah. I mean Matt Matt was working for me when he was wow saying I got this idea for a show about Madison Avenue and you know and it yeah. took him seven ten years to get that on the air but do you ever feel like I, I was the godmother of some of these things and hey you know remember me <laughs> <laughs> no they do remember yeah me. <laughs> That's nice. You're uh, the least competitive person I know as a woman, as a friend, as a, which is a really nice attribute. And women can be, we can be our own worst enemies, which is so, so unfortunate. And the film you just made, The Women, you, you created uh, an environment that I was able to witness and through the film um, of, as Madeleine Albright has coined this fabulous phrase, there's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women. Right. And uh, tell me about your... Your style in creating that kind of environment, and just come, you come by it naturally, but um, you know, just I I feel like y- everybody has to feel safe in yeah. order to do their best work, and so you know, on the women, I um, actually brought my entire cast to Martha's Vineyard to stay in my house for a rehearsal period, which was about a week, and. Um, no one really knew anyone very well, and it had to look like they all knew each other for a long time, and that friendship had to feel authentic. But it was also a time that we could sit around a table, dissect the script, throw in our ideas, our two cents. Uh, a lot of good stuff came out of it. I incorporated what I felt was good into the script. It made the cast feel invest even mm-hmm. more invested right. than they were. So you kept adjusting it, the film, because you had written it. Yeah, and I did my final many times rewrite. Over yes, after, I, yeah. I did my final rewrite after um, that that rehearsal period, huh. and and so, um, you know, I I just wanted to create that that place where whether you're a writer in a in a writer's room on a sitcom mm-hmm. pitching a joke, or whether you're an actor 
putting it all out there in front yeah. of the camera, you have to feel safe or I don't think that you can do your best work. And right. I know there's a lot of people that like to rule by intimidation. Yeah, or, it's not your style. Or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and they get great performances mm-hmm. out of people, too. Mm-hmm. But for me, life is too short to have that kind of stress level going. You know, yeah. it's just not... And, and get the best out of them by finding them, catching them doing something well and right, and that you incorporated it into the script. I didn't realize that, that you would, I'm sure... Oh, yeah, yeah. All the clothes and all of that, what was happening behind the scenes and... Oh, well, the, the clothes fittings. were a whole other deal but yeah yeah, we had no money on that movie so even though it looked like we did we really didn't and so we relied on the kindness of strangers you Mm -hmm. know we had designers sending us clothes that you borrow good things out of because of your style and we had wardrobe fittings in in, at my house (laughs) in the vineyard and experimented with different looks and and uh came up with Meg's look, which it, I, I'm very amused now that I see the topsiders are having a big resurgence. Yeah, that's right, and the new preppy look. showing them with, with dresses, and we we created that look for our movie in, yep. in, in 2008. Her Greenwich, and, Connecticut uh, house. That was just by accident, too. I had a pair of topsiders in <laughs> my laundry room, and we were looking for the right shoes to go with this dress that Meg went on, and I said, hey, what size are you? Try these on. And we just sort of fell in love with that that look and it, it, it I think it, it was one of the reasons that Trendsetter Redux on, so. that's funny <laughs> that is funny and also the way that you rewrote the script The Women it is it was kind of a bitchy film back in 1939 it was women against women after the man and right. you made it women for women um, which comes through in the environment that you created with the group of women that could be bitchy too you know these are all mm-hmm. actors looking for the top role yeah. um, and the film is about Friendship and standing behind, you know, and making mistakes and forgiveness and so on. And I was really taken to task for doing that. Yeah. I mean, I was I was killed by the critics for mm, doing that. You know, the, they they wanted the bitch fest. They like you controversy. Know, Where's the bitch fest? <laughs> and and I just did not want to do that. I felt like we've come a long way, baby. We don't <laughs> do that now. You remember you know? that Virginia Slim's ad. <laughs> So it was for cigarettes. Cigarettes, well. Cancer, but, you know. I'd like a tipperillo right about now. We're going to stop for a break, and I'm going to have a cigarette, and we'll be right back. (laughs) Why not join in the conversation right now? Go to hearwomentalkradio.com and chat live online with Deb Coletti from Life on Purpose. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is Jessica Doravaj, host of the Where's My Guru show. Join us Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Hear Women Talk. Are you hungry and looking for something delicious and healthy, convenient, quick, and value-packed? Check out our favorite, Jimmy Sabachi. Everything is sizzling and cooked precisely to order, and they use only the freshest ingredients, including sterling silver premium meats. Try their $5 daily lunch chicken plate with fried rice and veggies, or check out their Korean beef lunch plate with sesame and soy and just a slight touch of sweetness. Mmm. For dinner, try their mouth-watering salmon, mahi-mahi, scallops, or tender, juicy filet mignon. You can dine in or take out, and they even have a drive-up window. Jimmy's Hibachi delivers, too. Open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 10.30 p.m., conveniently located in Myrtle Beach on the corner of Kings Highway and 62nd Avenue North. Call ahead with your order at 839-8008 and download their discount coupon on the hearwomentalk.com website. Scrumptious, fast, healthy, satisfying, and reasonably priced. You'll love Jimmy's Hibachi, 839-8008. 
Hi, this is Kay Van Hoosen, founder of Hear Women Talk. Every Monday, you can return to love with Jen Ward and Genuine Healing. Jen is an empath, a healer, and an intuitive, and Jen will show you how to remove blockages, heal yourself, and feel love. That's Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.com. CarolinaSafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Cheap Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife. Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari Jeep Tour. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Life on Purpose. Once again, here's your host, Deb Coletti. So I'm back with my guest, Diane English, and um, seriously, uh, you were telling a story a while back. Uh, how did a buffalo girl uh, get on a horse and start riding western, we're eastern saddleback here, and start chasing cows? What the hell's up with that? Is that well, you've got to explain. It's, you know, yeah, well, you, no, we you were do. at dinner the other night, and it came out that we, we were with somebody who was just starting to, to ride. And I said, oh, I ride, and I, you know, and then I described the sport that I do called team penning, which is like pocket pool with cows. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's a blast. It's 30 cows in a pen, each with a different number, and then three riders on the other side of the arena, and then the announcer calls out the numbers, and you have to ride into the herd and cut the three numbers out and get them into a pen in under a minute. And, it, <laughs> and it's really hard to do, but it's, it's really, really fun. And, so do you um, leave the gate and you're going like 90 miles an hour, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, well, yeah, but you got to coordinate it with your team yeah. because otherwise you spook the herd and they run all over the place and, you know, and so everybody has How did so a buffalo girl a, get so, into this? Okay, so how did a buffalo girl get into this? I have a picture that is in my sort of family photo album of me on a little pinto pony at the pony rides. On my way to my grandmother's house in Buffalo, there was a little <laughs> pony ride thing. Yeah. We always had to stop, and I had to get the same pony, and I always wore my little Western shirt and my oh, boots. So and you I, always you know, have that Western thing in Roy mind. Roy Rogers, I watched uh, Spin and Marty, uh, you know, and I I just had a thing for that, you know, and uh, all girls love ponies and horses. Horses, you know? yeah, but East Coast English, although Wild West Buffalo, I guess. Buffalo Bill, is there something in there? (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. But I I didn't ride again for a really long time. And then I moved to Los Angeles, and I moved into an area that was kind of rural. And there was a neighbor who had some horses. And she said, you know, I'll teach you to ride if you uh, ride with me because I have to exercise my horses. It takes me too long to ride each one every day. So... So uh, it was a Tennessee Walker, which is, it was a beautiful horse, and it was old. It was an old horse, but um, very spirited for, for an old girl. And uh, so I learned to ride, and I, when I think back on where I was riding with her, because she was very expert, we were going up in the Santa Monica Mountains mm-hmm. on deer trails so high mm-hmm. and so narrow, and I was in a... Um, Australian saddle, which is sort of a, it was an endurance saddle, so it's half... The Thornbirds, I'm going back. (laughs) (laughs) It was half English and half Western. And we would go galloping through those mountains, 
and, and she said that. to me, she said, you have no fear. And I said, no, I have no brain. I'm not, if, if I, <laughs> How you got this, into television, you don't know any don't better. know any better. <laughs> this horse isn't, nothing's going to happen, right? right. Nothing no, bad's going to happen, right? I love how she covertly got you out there. We just have yeah. to ride with me. It wasn't like you were getting lessons. And so we would ride every weekend. Around. And I just loved it so much. And I was doing all this television. And it was such a release for an hour to just get up there in the hills and see the scenery and be one with this big animal carrying you around. I just loved it. And, and the trust of that animal. And then I started looking for my own, you yeah. know, my own horse. And uh, finally found him. And uh, someone someone was out there looking for me. And he came from North Dakota off a farm. Um, he was the grandson of one of the most famous paint horses ever, but he was born with toe out, which is when they're sort a of nice the opposite of pigeon toe. <laughs> so yeah. like and so he couldn't be a show horse, right. so they, he was sold. And I bought him, and, uh, and, and I bought him when he was five, and he's 25 now. Well, I know, Chet. And he's his name is well Chet, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we, we, would, we just had the best times. We would go off into these hills and every Saturday mm. and Sunday. And, and I know just the love you have great. for him and, yeah. and your dog, Martha, and you and animals. It's a very like special animals, bond. Yes, yeah, right. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, we're talking about Martha now, too, who's <laughs> her Jindo dog, rescue dog. But that's so cool that you have that part of your life that took you the balance. As you said, you had to give up at some points of your career, but... You still do that? Do yeah. you still ride oh, yeah. crazy time I, like I that? I don't ride crazy like that anymore. <laughs> the, the horse and I have aged at the same rate. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I got the back thing and he's got the foot thing. And so we just kind of... <laughs> we both get our shots of uh, toddler cortisone. Yeah, we both and get, <laughs> take our Advil and go out and ride. Love um, it. And, uh, you know, he's a pet, really. Yeah. You know, he's a big pet, a big expensive pet. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, big part of your life. That's great. That was wonderful to hear because you meet this woman and you go, really? She's out chasing cows? <laughs> well, I always say, you know, you can tell a lot about somebody by looking in their car, you know, to see yeah. what they've got in their car. So at any given time, if you huh. opened my car and looked in it, you know, in Los Angeles, you would find a saddle mm-hmm. and and some horse paraphernalia yeah. and then maybe a, a, a Chanel garment bag. <laughs> And, uh, you know, yeah. split personality. Well, that is the split personality the, the, that I love that, and what's kept you, I think, as normal as you can be in, in the world that you live in, um, which is quite a dichotomy, the New York and L.A. Uh, somebody once uh, said recently that, and somebody once recently, it was said that L.A. people, the difference between L.A. and New York people in that whole uh, world, in L.A., people will shine on, um, they'll say, yeah, 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 we can have dinner, let's do this, we can do a project together, it's wonderful. In New York, they'll actually... If you call them, they'll they'll actually show up at the thing. And in LA, they go, and then it never happens. Or in New York, they just won't call you back. You know, you how do you see the difference? In well, yeah, I mean, in, in Los Angeles, because it's so work oriented, yeah. you know, a lot of relationships are transactional. You yeah, know, exactly. You You're think somebody's so your friend, yeah. but they're not really your friend. Like what can you do for friend. me? Yeah, <laughs> you're you're your friend because I got to know you through this project, and you know, yeah. and, and and the friendships last about as long as the projects. So. Yeah. That's There's certainly exceptions. My best friend I met in Los Angeles, and and she continues to be my best mm-hmm. friend. Um, but you're choosing her, and she's out of the business. Well, she was in the business. No, I, yeah. I met her. She, she was the first yeah. meeting I ever had mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and my agent said, 
I don't know that anything is going to come out of this work-wise, but I think the two of you are going to wind up being very good friends. Oh, that's funny. And that's exactly what happened. That's funny. And they've both grown together and stayed grounded. Uh, Yeah. And she got out of the business, in fact. Yeah, she did. She's a shrink now, which is good. She's training at almost, she's 60 years old and becoming a shrink. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's very impressive. Talk about. fantastic. You know, she just had had a big 360 in her career and, and, uh, you know, and I will be her first patient. (laughs) No, she's gotten her training on you. <laughs> That's <probably. true. laughs> uh, You have recently uh, bought an apartment in New York, which you were in New York for years before, a couple of years mm-hmm. before you went to L.A. Uh, the decision to, to round off your, your life or the balance uh, at this time in your life, that's a big change. Yeah, it was, I went from Buffalo to New York, lived mm-hmm. in New York for 10 years. It was life-changing. I think mm-hmm. everybody needs to live in New York for one year of their life. It just it just is a, a, a very transforming experience. I went to Los Angeles reluctantly. Mm. My then-husband wanted very much to move to Los Angeles, and he was raised in New York. He was wanting to live somewhere else, and so I went. And uh, and we kind of made our, our fortune there, you know, and so we stayed. Um, but I was always being pulled back, always mm-hmm. being pulled back, and it was it was time to, to go back. My marriage ended, and I decided mm-hmm. I'm going back home. I'm right. going where to the place that I, I consider home. Yeah. And so the little voice um, was calling to you all those years. Yeah, you could really do it. was. I just love love. I mean, in, in in many ways, that city saved my life. Hmm. You know, I was had I followed suit with all all of my my you know cousins and so on, I never would have. No one left Buffalo. No one left. Yeah. No one left. Right. And uh, and everybody's happy and everybody's a family and nice and have have done nice things. But but I had an ambition that went beyond that, mm-hmm. and and there was no way that I I was going to achieve that. By staying in one place, right. so so I I really feel like New York was my my it's like big arms went around me yeah, when I got there, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it's I just really really wanted to go back, mm-hmm. and and so now I'm back there, and I I'm just so happy I made that move. And what you chose to buy in New York City, you could buy, you know, you've done nicely, <laughs> um, and which is great, and but you again are not that kind of showy person. You have a beautiful home in L.A., and I know you do in Martha's Vineyard as well, but in New York you chose. A nice pied de terre. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I I didn't want to get in over my head. I I I, I over her I, head. I feel, that makes me laugh. <laughs> but I feel like we're all looking toward downsizing yeah. somewhat. I didn't want anything that was a lot of maintenance. I didn't want anything ostentatious. I I chose an apartment in a wonderful building on the Upper East Side, in the Sutton Place area, which is where I used to live in that general area, and um, and. It's a very classy um, setup there, and it's it, two bedrooms. I wanted a fireplace really badly. I always fantasize mm-hmm. about having a fireplace in New York. That always seemed to me like <laughs> that the height of must, right? Yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And you know, you have a nest. It's, it's it amazing. just works. You know, it's it's everything that I need there. I can have guests. Mm-hmm. I can have dinner parties. Um, Isn't I it amazing how downsizing can not that you've done in total, but to have yeah. a place like that's all you really need when you're there. Oh, it's so great. Something's wrong. You call the super. You know, <laughs> and that's it's not super. something I have to do. <laughs> so I I really really um, like it. I'm very happy with with where I am, and uh, I don't really feel the need to get any bigger than that. 
Right. That's it. It was a perfect choice for you, and you could have changed it all up and had something, you know, on Fifth Avenue or whatever. But you have the perfect place for you. Continue yeah, it to is. be that uh, down home girl, <laughs> but with really nice apartment, I have to say. <laughs> and yes. we'll be back in just a minute. You too can join in the conversation. Go online to hearwomantalkradio.com and chat live now with Deb Coletti from Life on Purpose. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for hearwomentalk.com. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Donna. Join us Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on hearwomentalk.com. <laughs> Hello race fans, this is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa. Featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. Hi, this is John Banks with the Zeus Radio Network and Hear Women Talk. Come join me on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. with Bringing Man Out of the Cave. We're going to try to take an interesting look at the male-female dynamic as I try to give you answers as to why men do what they do. Come join me on Mondays. Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone. If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at AbramsForensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code H. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Comments, questions, opinions? Then join in the conversation right now. Go to hearwomentalkradio.com and chat live online with Deb Coletti from Life on Purpose. Once again, here's your host, Deb Coletti. Uh, Diane, in your life, um, can you think back to a moment or a time that was incredibly special that you want to see repeated? No. In the next 20? It wasn't some wonder... No? Not one? I'm not one for going back to repeat, you know? Okay. I I feel like... A feeling or a time or a... Um, you know, the, the, when I first moved to New York, it was really the happiest year of my life. Mm-hmm. There was never really a happier year. Those were your poor years. Those were my poor <laughs> years, my everything's ahead of me years, yeah. I can do anything. Okay, well, who'd want to repeat poor, you but know, happy but, but, you know, it was so exciting to, to be away from home, to, yeah. you know, be in that city. And with all the stuff that's happened, you know, since then, I still look back on that as, as a really... yeah. 
So phrased Exciting in a different time. way. So it would be it would be We don't want to be twenty or thirty or forty again. I get that. No, yeah. forty wouldn't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll take forty five. Forty wouldn't be bad. Yeah. But um but just to <laughs> recapture that feeling of newness. Yeah. You know, as you get older and you've done so much, it's harder and harder to to recapture that feeling of excitement and new and and uh, wow, what's this? You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 just it's just harder to do it. Yeah. No. Okay. So yeah, from that perspective, I get that. I've heard you say uh, the best is yet to come. What does that yeah, mean to you? Yeah, that's kind of a yeah. motto of mine. Yeah. You know, I I try to. To tell myself that, you know, that no matter what's going <laughs> so on, so you act it until it is it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the best is yet to come. I yeah. mean, you create your own life, mm-hmm. you know. So, so I think that. And apparently, you have, as you look back, you did create it. Yeah, we all do. Through naive. We all do yeah. with the choices we make mm-hmm. and the choices we didn't make. Right. You know, the mistakes that we made. Every every failure leads you toward, you know something new and 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 a, and a success and it's just a continuum mm-hmm. so you know i i fight the tendency to sit here and look back and say well all the best years are behind me mm-hmm. i refuse to believe that i really think that this next decade could be the best it's hard as it rebirthing and reinventing yourself all the time and you're going through a big change in your life big change uh, personally, personally and, yeah. and um you know physically as women we go through big right. changes mm-hmm. you know it's all it's all a constant and process, surrender to what we have to control what we can and uh have to let go of the, the rest yeah as a director as a as a showrunner who has got her eye on every detail and can create and control so much on the set and in a film, how does that translate into real life when we can't control everything? Yeah, that's why life on a set is so lovely. Yeah, because, right. You know, <laughs> you can you can look at the couch and say, you know, I just think that that's the wrong pattern, and we ought to. Then the next day, it shows Blink. up different. You know, I mean, it's you get very spoiled. Yeah, you know, yeah. living on a set, it really is fantasy time. Uh, and you you can't control everything. I mean, certainly even on a on a shoot, you can't control the weather. You right. know, you can't sure. control actors. <laughs> oftentimes, you know, you can't control uh, your budget. Sometimes, you know, how much money you have to deal with. I, you know, it's all a, a factor. Mm-hmm. But um, it is what it is. You know, and and uh, you just and knowing that, and knowing that we've well, got to have a range of. The ability to not have it all just be delivered tomorrow is perfection, and so on. Well, when you're used to having that level of control, you know, on a on a set or 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 on a lot, you know, you're on the lot, and it's all doable. Everything mm-hmm. is doable, mm-hmm. you know. And then you then then you get home and you go, why can't I get the carpenter to show up? Yeah. <laughs> and that was the way Murphy Brown got born, just huh. with that idea of. I've got legions of people standing here yeah. asking, "What can I do for you?" You yes, know, right? And then you get home and Boss you lady. can't get it done. <laughs> you know, you can't. Nobody pays attention to you. So, uh, you know that that was that was a part of the element. Yeah, you know, that was an element in. in and you live both sides of that being the big dog, and then coming home and going. Yeah, yeah. I used to get very stressed out about all this stuff. You know. Mm. And, and I, I just try not to, to use a cliche, sweat the small stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I really try not to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to put it in perspective. There's a lot worse things that could happen in life. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm knocking on wood right now. Hear me because <laughs> I'm healthy and yeah. 
you know, my my parents used to say it all the time. As long as you got your health, but I, you never we think appreciate of that now. it. We do you think get of that now. Right. To a certain age, and you go, my goodness, you know what? You know, I'm not a size two anymore, but I'll take the, you know, whatever it is. Two, but yeah, I, you know, but I'm healthy. I'm healthy. We're not walking the runway anytime right. soon. That's correct. <laughs> oh, believe me. <laughs> Oh, but we could. <laughs> and you could. You look fantastic. You have oh, done a great, good genes and good hard work. I know right, that to be true. Work, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just about being fit now for me. I don't Healthy care. Fits. I just, you know, Fitting I in just the pants. want to be fit. Yeah. <laughs> just fit in the pants. just want to fit good, in the clothes we own. Never yeah. mind. Because <laughs> it's an investment. It's totally. And the size six closet and the eight. I know. <laughs> we all have our closets with the different sizes in them. But I just, I just want to be able to. Move the couch by myself without calling somebody if <laughs> exactly. I have to, you know. And as an independent woman, which you've always been and married and not, you've been a strong woman and, and we do it for ourselves kind of thing, which is kind of gets annoying sometimes. We have to learn how to act dumb. It, it is <laughs> annoying. It My mother used to say that to me even when I was a teenager. She'd say, just don't, don't, you seem like you can do it, you know, just let him do it for you, just, you know. Yeah, and exactly. that, that was, there. I see a lot of women like that. That's their act, you know, and mm-hmm. it seems to work, but it's never going to work for me. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. you know. It's I'm, just how you're built. And they're going to either have to deal with it or (laughs) take the road, hit the road, Jack. (laughs) What are you doing now that has you excited about what you do? Well, I I decided that after the women, I wanted to do something completely different. And I I started to look for a project that was really outside of my comfort zone (laughs) and something that people would not expect me to be doing. And I found it, and it's um, I'm adapting a, a Paul Auster novel. He's a wonderful living novelist, um, and it's called Timbuktu, and it's a drama. It's not a comedy, although there are moments of great humor in it. But um, it's it's quite different for me, and I I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm just I've just finished the script, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and the next step is to try to cast it. Uh, it's being produced by Lakeshore Entertainment. They're a wonderful And it's a fe- group. Oh, a feature film. Feature film. Mm-hmm. And uh, our plan is that we will be shooting this beginning in the late spring, early summer of this coming year. That's um, But that all depends on cast and cast availability. Right. So, What about it spoke to you? How did you find it? Well, uh, my agent sent me the book. I'm a big dog person mm-hmm. uh, going oh, back to the animals. <laughs> and there's a dog, and it's a homeless man and his dog, and it's mm. told from the point of view of the dog. And huh. um, the dog is incredibly observant about human nature, and the homeless man is dying, and he's looking for a home for his dog. So Sweet. it's alternately heartbreaking yeah. and, and, and wry and and. Full of good humor and and uh, mm. and 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 really sweet too. It's mm. really really sweet. So mm. um, it's it's causing me to to use new muscles, you know, yeah. creative muscles. Yeah. I love that part of the the dog speaking from the dog's perspective because your dog Martha is very much. You have a conversation. She's a really smart dog and she understands language. She does. <laughs> and in this book, you know, the, the it's explained that mm-hmm. because the man is a, a, a poet, you know, the homeless man, he's a writer and he's mad. He's a schizophrenic, but he's a genius and he talks constantly and the dog is, you know, saying that he's so articulate because yeah. he's he spent his whole life with uh, this man, you know. So and you cared know, for the man, it sounds cared, like. Yeah. They took care of each other, yeah. really took care of each other. And I've been watching, you know, in New York, I'm 
have been very mindful of the homeless people with dogs on the street, and I always find it very, very interesting how calm these dogs Mm -hmm. are, that they lay at the feet of, of, of the homeless person and... And and nothing phases them. They're yep. just calm. Yeah, you know. Well, somebody has to survive the, or be the stronger in the pair. And yeah, it's true. It's true. And they often look like rescue dogs, or maybe because they've been homeless together. Oh yeah, they're homeless they're together very for much. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. And they take care of each other. It sounds like a wonderful story. Yeah, script. it's a good. That's it's a very good fun. story. Who do you got in mind? Well, Robert Downey Jr. If you're listening to this, yeah, um, he would be my my. Over oh, one choice, which uh. would be great, but there's lots of wonderful actors who could could play this mm-hmm. part. It's a you know uh, we'll we'll be on a very short schedule because it's not a big budget movie. I could actually shoot him out in probably ten days. Yeah. So who's the new younger Robert Downey? Is there anybody up and coming? Can't be younger. No, it can't be younger. Yeah. This that's no, that won't work. Yeah. I'm doing an interview next week with a woman who wrote the has written a book called uh, What Would Audrey Do. And her new oh, book. Yeah, Have you I heard, heard about, about this? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I got it for Hadley last Christmas, not knowing the author, but I was introduced to the author, and she said, I would love to be on your show. Oh, so her new book is called uh, are, you a, are You a Jackie or Are You a Marilyn? Oh. What are you? Oh, I'm so a Jackie. Yeah. I, yeah. I knew that, but yeah. I wonder what you said. I'm so a Jackie. Yeah. Marilyn was a real sort of sexual being, you know, and she she approached everything that way with her emotions full out and... and um, she wore it on her sleeve, yeah. She really did. Yeah. And, and she was also, you know, she's very talented and very charismatic, but she was also kind of a doomed yeah. character, yeah. you know. Dark side. Yeah, and Jackie, Jackie is the more... I agree. Controlled. You, well, I mean, she's, she's very bright and sophisticated. You know, sophisticated and but also is very sensual. There are parts of her that I'm reading about oh, in this book that are... Absolutely. I actually don't think I'm either one of them. You yeah, know? so who would you be? That's the other question. Carol Burnett, probably. <laughs> Carol Burnett do. <laughs> exactly. I love it. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Diane, for being here with me this today. This was so much fun. So much fun. And uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I always sign off with this. Love you, mean it. Oh, <laughs> me too. You've been listening to Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti. Broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. More information at hearwomentalk.com and lifeonpurposeradio.com. Join us next week for another edition of Life on Purpose.